0: Well, the next time we're together, I plan on uh, picking up in verse John. I was going to go there this morning and uh, just didn't feel right for today. So uh, we're going to go to the 50th Psalm. So if you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm number 50 this morning. Psalm number 50 verses, we'll read together verses 13, 14, and 15, and that's going to be our focus, and we'll set that in the the context of of Psalm 50, and hear what the Lord has to say to us today. But beginning in verse 13, uh, God is asking a rhetorical question based on some things He's previously said. He says, do do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And of course, the rhetorical answer is no. (laughs) And he goes on, he says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High God and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. This is God's Word. Amen. Psalm number 50. It is the first of about 12 psalms that you'll find in the psalms that are attributed to a guy by the name of Asaph. Um, Asaph, uh, what we know from the the Old Testament Scriptures is he was a guy that uh, was an upcoming musician of sorts. And we know that King David appointed this individual Asaph to help with... Uh, to to be kind of like a music leader of sorts. Maybe he was the first music minister. I I don't know. I I say that tongue-in-cheek. But he did work with uh, somewhat the idea of a Hebrew choir, and he he has penned these psalms. And I'm sure that Asaph probably wrote a lot of hymns and praise songs, if you will, Um, other psalms that are... Not necessarily in the Psalms because they weren't God's breath, but for whatever reason, um, the Holy Spirit moved on him and breathed in him and brought about the 50th Psalm. Thus, the reason we have this Psalm in our Old Testament scriptures and have the privilege of reading it and Hearing it read this morning, um, and part of the Holy Spirit's purpose in this, when you when you read it in its entirety, part of the Holy Spirit's purpose in this was to expose a great danger, a great danger that is always before you, Christian. It's always there wanting to creep in your life. And you say, what are you talking about sin? Well, sin, yes, of course. But no, this is something more specific. The issue here is the danger of finding yourselves trapped in empty religious rituals. You know, just begin to slide into a place where you're just going through the motions. You come to church. Why? Because that's your ritual. It's not necessarily because it is a heart desire out of love and gratitude to God. Or you, you, you teach a Sunday school class, so you serve in a position. But why do you do It's because it's your Ritual, it becomes empty, it becomes void of life. And Psalm 50 is exposing that danger, that evil, that that danger of becoming immersed in the outward forms of religion, the evil of becoming engrossed in religious formality when it is true spirituality, it is true worship pure and sincere devotion that you and I are called to. We want to remain there in that place of pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of ways this could have been done. A lot of ways that the Holy Spirit could have done this to try and help protect us from this. But in Psalm 50, God chose to remind the people of Israel and He chose to remind the people in Valdosta this morning, chose to remind us that there is a day of trouble that will come. There is a day of trouble. He, he labeled it that in verse number... Um, Fifteen, he says that to call upon him in the day of trouble. There is a day of trouble. That's a fact. A day of trouble will come. Fast forward to the New Testament, John sixteen thirty three. I quote it all the time. Jesus promised in this life you'd have trouble, tribulation, and I mean we always are dealing with troubles. Probably the. Uh, troubles we are looking at right now are the the chaos of of uh, democratic primaries and presidential races coming down the road and the insanity of some of the platforms and we're facing uh, the calamity of COVID-19 and novel viruses being introduced into the human population that probably it's okay, nothing there, but there's so much we don't know and so it always seems troubling and the day of trouble is always before us. But when that trouble that comes... Seizes your life and rattles you and violates your faith and it shakes you to the core. In that moment, in that miserable moment, in Psalm 50, the Holy Spirit's wanting to remind you that empty religious forms aren't going to help you in that moment. You hear me? Religious formality will not help you in that moment. Just going through the motions, giving lip service to God when your heart is far away, will not deliver you. It won't work. The outward motions and forms of religion will not help you stand. In the day of trouble. But here. We discover. Principles. To protect us against that dead religion. And help us triumph. In the day of trouble. Now. I say. In this psalm is primarily speaking to Christians about the danger of empty religion or believers. And the reason why I want to make that note is because God says He's speaking to His people. Because as you see, God's people, true believers, can be caught up and entangled in outward religious ceremonies and the religious traditions of men rather than... Pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we see this happening to God's people. Let me expand out of the context. Before we set ourselves down in the verses we read, notice the problem here. The problem of empty religion The problem of of ritualism. Listen to it. If you digress back out from where we read and you go back up to verse 7, the text says, Hear, O my people. Not hear, O wicked. Not hear, O lost. Not hear, O Gentile. Not hear, O lost person. He says, hear my people. O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify to you. I am God. Your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, a cattle on a thousand hills. If I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is is mine, I know that. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullnesses are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? And then immediately he digressed what he's saying there and says, You need to offer me sacrifices of thanksgiving. In other words, the sacrifices they were offering continually were empty, they were void spiritual reality. They were void. True heartfelt devotion and love for Jesus Christ that was absent, that was missing. Well, God wants His people to triumph in the day of trouble. Regardless of the source of trouble, whether it be Satan, whether it be sin, whether it be yourself or the world. God wants His people to overcome. He wants us to trouble. He says, I want to deliver you in the day of trouble. Or I will deliver you. You see, God wants to see our deliverance. And in seeing our deliverance, the text says that it will glorify Him. And so God wants himself to be glorified and our good need to be met in the day of trouble. Now, Christian, we don't just poof, and magically get to the place to where we will stand strong in the day of trouble. You can't just sit back and say, Well, I know I'm going to stand strong in the day of trouble and then just think you're going to nonchalantly ride the lazy boy of Christianity into the day of trouble and hop up out of the lazy boy and stand strong. It doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen that way. And that is part of where Psalms 50 will help us. It will help us to fight. It will help us to fight to protect our hearts from Satan's diabolical scheme to lull us into empty religion and away from pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. And we must fight to protect our hearts from the tendency of our flesh to be drawn into hollow and mechanical means of expression. And so in Psalm 50, in the verses that I read to you, in the text that we read, we see that God through Asaph, is providing us with some principles to help protect our hearts from dead, empty religion. It gives us a plan, if you will, if I can say that word. I always like to use that word. But it gives us a plan to help our hearts remain lubricated so that they don't dry up and become stuck in the mechanics of empty religion and dead. Traditionalism. It gives us some principles that keep the fire alive within us for Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot enter the day of trouble half heartedly and half dazed and cooled off in your relationship with Jesus. It needs to be strong and it needs to be vibrant and it needs to be full of passion. Some of you are too churchy to know what passion is for Jesus. When the day of trouble comes, you're going to be in trouble. What does the text tell us? He gives us a three-part or three-principle plan. Sounding like a preacher now. (laughs) But He does. When I look at the text, He tells us what we need to be. What you need to be. What I need to be. He tells us what we need to be. Let me read to you again verses 14 and 15. This is what He tells us. He says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows To the Most High. And call upon Me in the day of trouble. Do those. And then He promises. What does He say? He says, I will deliver you and you shall glorify Me. Now what is that? What do we need to be? First of all, we need to be thankful to God. We need to be thankful to God. I cannot overemphasize this. I cannot stress this enough. It is not an accident that the command to offer thanksgiving to God comes first. We must offer Him thanksgiving Because it is from a thankful heart that the other two things that we'll see here will flow. If you don't have a thankful heart to God, you have no hope. You have no hope in the day of trouble as far as standing. It will undermine you. We must be thankful to God. Without a heart of gratitude, Towards God, we become vulnerable to great evil. We slowly and gradually begin down a slope that ends in sin and ends in pain. It is imperative we are thankful. When there is no true thanksgiving to our God, our slow fade begins with our heart growing cool and lukewarm. We begin to become a Pharisee of sorts, just going through the outward motions, no longer walking with the Lord and passionately pursuing Him. And when we begin to cool off, we're at a critical stage. We're at a critical stage because it is in that moment when we are like there that without repentance in our lives and returning to our first love, the sin, Genesis 4-7, that lies crouching at your door and wants to own you, it will pounce on you and you will be no match for it. We must, we must have thanksgiving in our heart. Romans 1, We started in it today in Sunday school. You haven't got to the latter half of verse 18 on, where we read that about the human species that God, this is before He gave them up to all manner of evil. That evil began with this. They neither thanked God. They neither glorified Him nor gave Him thanks. Thanksgiving was missing thanksgiving is important now someone may say my life is full of pain and problems and how in the world am i going to be thankful i got problems at work i got problems at home i got problems at school i got problems everywhere i look how am i going to be thankful how am i going to be thankful well the thanksgiving that Asaph is writing for, the thanksgiving that we're off to offer unto God, it's not about our circumstances. So it's not about our blessings. Yes, we should be thankful for good circumstances. Yes, we should be thankful for blessings. But if we have no good circumstances, if we don't see any blessing in our life at this moment, we still should be thankful Because thanksgiving is not grounded in the good things in our life, but in the good God who gives them or does not give them, whether the Lord gives or the Lord takes away, thanksgiving is still due His name. And we must be thankful to Him. And we must offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to Him. You see, whether we're on the mountaintop or the deepest, darkest valley, God is to be thanked for who He is. You see that pattern throughout the Psalms, in the Scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament. But you see that. Psalm 106 and verse 1 says, Give thanks to God. Why? For He is good. Psalm 107 and verse 1 also says, Give thanks to God, for He is good. Psalm 108 verses 3 and 4 said, Give thanks to God, for His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Go over to Psalm 118 and verse 1. Give thanks to God, for He is good. And His steadfast love endures. Go to Psalm 136, verses 1, 2, and 3. Here, I'll read that one to you. Psalm 136, it says this. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is Good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to God, the God of gods, for His steadfast love doers forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love doers forever. In each of those cases, the thanksgiving is throwing the spotlight on the reality of who God is. Regardless of what we go through, regardless of how much we hurt, regardless of how much we suffer, regardless of what we're going through, we still can thank God because of who God is. He is always good, He is always loving. He is always faithful. Therefore, we have hope in the day of trouble and in the pain and in the suffering and whatever. We must thank Him. We must thank Him. He is worthy to be thanked. He is worthy. Now, out of that thanksgiving, the two other principles that I note In Psalm 50, flow. We must not only be thankful to God, but we must be true to God. The text says, perform your vows to the Most High. And the general principle of that is, Be faithful to God and what you've promised Him. But it's talking about being true and being faithful to the Lord. Let me begin by saying that all true believers will ultimately remain true to the Lord. That's just an inevitability. But sometimes, and I'm reading somebody's mail now maybe, sometimes believers are not walking intimately with the Lord. And when they're not walking intimately with the Lord, they have temporary lapses of faithfulness to the Lord and being true to the Lord. The famous line from the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, is true and authentic. You, You know it the line where He says, Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love here's my heart oh take it and seal it for thy courts above. The writer felt that tendency to be pulled away from God and it's almost with intensity saying, God take my heart, seal it for your courts above. So it's Easy, especially apart from thanksgiving. To find our heart drifting from the Lord. So be true. Be faithful to God always. But especially in the day of trouble. In the day of trial. In the day of temptation. Again, thankfulness helps you here. And God expects this out of His blood Child, no matter what trouble we face, do you remember what what the Lord Jesus told the church in Smyrna? That's in the Book of Revelation. It's one of the seven churches. They were going to face a lot of hardship. They were about to go through some serious troubles. You know what God's word was to them? This is what the Lord said in Revelation chapter two and verse ten. He said, "Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold." The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Believers, remember that. Remember that. No matter what we face, preach those words to your heart. Be Preach them to your heart. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. One writer wrote this about Christian faithfulness to God. He said this, The most significant element in our Christian life is faithfulness to God. In the days we now live in, we are unsure of what will happen next across the globe. There are wars and famines and economic collapse and natural disasters. And I would add pestilence. That's me, not the author here. There are wars. I just read that part. He said, be faithful. Being faithful to God gives us great peace and assurance that we will be brought through by His promises. And that is so true. That is so true. Unfortunately... So many Christians have crumbled in the day of trouble. They've crumbled in the day of trouble under the great pressures. I can take you to the scriptures and just begin to name some Noah crumbled, Moses crumbled, Jacob crumbled. David crumbled. Peter crumbled. I can take you into real life. I, Scott Livingston, crumbled. Some of you have crumbled before. Totally not prepared for the day of trouble when it comes. Totally not prepared. but from this day forward, I would say to the Noah's, and I would say to the Jacob's, and I would say to the David's, and I would say to the Moseses, I would say from this day forward, let's be different. Let's be like the Joseph's. Let's be like the Joshua's. Let's be like the Daniel's. Let's be like the Job's. Oh my, Job, who, I mean, can you come to imagine what Job went through? He lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his wife, his own wife in the midst of the heat of the day of trouble. Said to him, You ought to just curse God and die. What was Job's response? Well, honey, I listen to you all the time. Let me follow your advice. No, that's not what he did. He said, I know my Redeemer lives and in my flesh I will see God. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I pray that we would be like that. That we would be like that. That we would remain true to the Lord. And being true to God is aided by cultivating that thanksgiving in our heart to God. So be thankful to God so that you can be true to God. And the third thing, we need to be talking to God. He says, if we look at the Scripture here, He says, Offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to, to the Lord and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. And that carries with it the idea of intensely, passionately calling out to the Lord. We, we need to be crying out to God in our troubles. We need to be crying out to God before our troubles. We need to be crying out to God after our troubles. Because trouble is like a boomerang where it's going to come right back again. So we need to be crying out to God all the time. All the time. Calling out to the Lord. The Hebrew word that is used here is shavah. And it means to cry aloud to cry aloud it is a loud cry for help a plead for help a request for something that is that is that with a focus that is 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 almost it is intense and it is desperate and we need to pursue god like that like we're we're desperate for him there needs to be some intensity But it's hard for there to be intensity when we're not thankful. And when we're not thankful, we're not true. It's hard to be intense in your cry and your pursuit of God. You see, they're all interrelated here. We must be intensely and intentionally calling out to the Lord. When is the last time... Your prayers have sounded desperate to the Lord? When? When? We need to be. They will not be unless you're thankful and grasp your desperate need for God and His grace every second of our day. We need Him. We need Him. We see this modeled, this desperation modeled in the Psalms in particular. In Psalm 13, David, he's dealing with some emotional issues within him. And he says in Psalm 13 about verse 3, he says, Lord, answer me, lest I sleep the death of... lest I sleep... The sleep of death. He's like, God, answer me. This is intense. You got, i got to hear from you or I'm going to die. <laughs> or I'm going to die. We see this model. You can look over if just a few psalms over. In Psalm 55, you see this intense cry to God. The psalmist says here, and this is of David. He says, "...Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for, for mercy." Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me. He's passionate. He's intense in his cry. We could go on to Psalm 61 is another place where you see this intensity in his cry to the Lord. In verses one through three, um, this is David again. He says, "Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer, for from the end of the earth I call to you, when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. for you have been my refuge, a strong tower, against my enemy." We see that intensity again over in Psalm 63. When David cries out and he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat of rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed as I meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me but he's seeking for me he says my body it longs for you Lord he's thirsty for God thirsty for him Stay thirsty for Jesus, my friends. To play off of a secular commercial in their title. Stay thirsty for Jesus. Stay thirsty for Him. Well, this plan for triumph in the day of trouble, again... This is only for the people of God, as I noted in verse 7, the saved. The lost, they'll just be swept away. You see, God addresses His people beginning in verse 7. He gives His plan in verses 14 and 15. And then in Psalm 51, in, in verse 16, He immediately contrasts the wicked with Him. He says, but to the wicked, God says... And he begins to talk to the lost. And and, and his idea to them is this, and I would say this to anyone here that doesn't know the Lord. Verse 22, he says, Mark this, then you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Mark this. Mark this. And why do I say that? say that, to say what Isaiah said, call on the Lord while He may be found. Call on the Lord while He may be found. Tomorrow may be too late. So what do I offer you today? I tell you, nothing I have said will apply to you unless you turn to Christ and you trust in Christ and you treasure Christ above all things. Trusting Jesus makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. I'll close by reminding you of these two individuals, Peter and Judas. You remember them. You remember what happened. They both were thrown into the sieve of Satan when Jesus told them that Satan desired to sift them like wheat. He wasn't only talking to Peter, he was talking to all the disciples because in the Greek that you is plural. Well, Peter was roughed up in the sea of, he was beat up pretty bad, but he wept bitterly in the end, and he was brought back to the Lord, and God used him powerfully. But Judas, not so. Judas, when the day of trouble come, it, it resulted in his suicidal death. Are you trusting Christ today? Have you trusted Him today? Then there's hope for you. If not, call on the name of the Lord. He is mighty to save. Mighty to save. Let's bow. Let's pray. Father, God, we come to You.